And I, I want to thank Melvin and Travis for filling in for me for a month or more. Uh, I did my breathing test, and uh, Vic was trying to give me another breathing test. You know? <laughs> and I just don't have the air to go a little bit longer. You know, but uh, uh, you you find out there are certain things in here that you got to learn to live with, and you just learn to live with them, and you keep moving. Amen. Well, today, seeing what Jesus wants you to see, and then next week, why a society needs to protect itself against Jesus. Now, but we want to see what Jesus wants us to see this week. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for being so gracious unto us, so kind to us, so merciful to us. For we are your people, and we've been called by thee, O God, to serve you and to honor you. And may we live in such a way that our lives honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that we will not be a people who are ashamed of the gospel, and that, Lord... We are a people who desire to purify our lives. We're desirous, O God, to put those things of the world off and to put on Christ. And help us, O God, to see the things that we need to change in our own personal life. Let us not look to the left or to the right, but may we look at the one, O God, who is an example unto us, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we fix our eyes upon him and see him clearly and to know what he desires of each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, to run our race. Help us, O God, to be faithful unto you as we run this race. And, Lord, we know there is one who will desire to put stumbling blocks in our ways, but, O God, give us the ability to hurdle over them. Give us the ability, O God, even though we may stumble, to keep on running and trusting you and believing in you. May you glorify yourself through us. And Lord, may you speak to us today and encourage our hearts. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Seeing what Jesus wants you to see. You know, it's something about this world right now. Because this world captivates your eyes on what? On what they want you to see. Uh, the movies, they captivate your eyes on what they want you to see. Um, the news captivates your eyes on what they want you to see. And uh, we've seen this throughout the week here, that uh, there are those that, boy, uh, it just keep hitting, 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 and, and, and boy, uh, they want you to see something, catch something, even with the rally factor. Uh, they want you to see it, hear it, see it, hear it. But what is it that Jesus wants you to hear? What is it that Jesus wants you to see? How many of us really see the loss? How many of us really see God's goal for our life? How many of us really see God's purpose for our life? How many of us really see? And the one thing that has to be asked is this. Are you really looking for it? Are you really looking for it? And I want you to understand this. God will guard your hearts. God will guard our hearts that we might be able to see what he wants us to see because he understands there's so many distractions and those distractions are real. Those distractions and a distraction is always that which will draw you away from Jesus or seeing what Jesus would have you to see. A distraction. And you need to understand, we can be easily distracted by the things of life. And we are. As we fall into crisis, as we fall into situations, as we fall into problems, we are distracted from the main purpose. And we spend all of our time over here rather than doing this. And what we haven't understood yet, that when I focus on the Lord Jesus Christ... All these other things are taken care of. That's hard to understand. That when I really focus on Christ, He takes care of all the other things. 
I don't care what's going on in your world. If you will practice casting it upon the Lord Jesus Christ, giving it over to him, and stay focused on what he's called you to do, the other thing would be taken care of. It's surprising how that works. But we're so hands-on that God can't get our hands off of it sometime in order to get his hands on it. We can easily be distracted. The apostles were that way. One betrayed because he couldn't see clearly. And he was going to force Jesus to be something else or do something else. Then one denied him because he was distracted, became fearful of what might happen to him. And the others, after seeing what happened to him, they kind of like just dispersed, took off. Spike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. The whole issue is that each one of them had their own problem. But what we're going to look at today a little more is the apostles at the Last Supper and the protection that Jesus gives to them. That Jesus gives to them. He protects them. He protects their heart. He protects their thoughts and their thinking. He protects them. Now, I want you to catch this progression. I want you to understand this. God will never put more upon you than what you can what? Bear or understand at any given time. He won't put more on you than what you're able to grasp or understand. And he knows he can't dump too much on us at one time. But he gives it to us in steps. And I want you to see it even in this area of Scripture. In Matthew 16, 21, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain. So is, you're talking about maybe a year and a half in with Jesus before he begins to talk about this thing called death and what's going to happen to him. He's in there for a while with these disciples. He didn't start off day one telling them he was going to die and he was going to leave them. He's in with them for a while, about a year, year and a half somewhere in Matthew 16. And then he begins to break the news to them that he's going to be killed and he's going to leave them, but he's going to rise again on the third day. He didn't give them that information on day one. It's after building a relationship with them, teaching them a little bit, and then sharing with them that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now what might be missing in this passage that he's going to add to? And this is the first time in a sense that they're hearing this. So what's going to be added? Remember, I said God takes you alone, step at a time. It's a progression that takes place here. And God's going to give it to them as they can understand it. But he doesn't give them more than what they have need of because he knows if he gives them more, there would be an attitude that would rise up. If he gave them more, there would be certain thoughts that would take place. If he would give them more, the Last Supper may not have been the Last Supper. So he holds back. But he also gives them what he wants them to focus on. He gives them what he wants them to focus on. He gives them what they have need of. 
yes, the reality of this thing, I'm going to die. But look, look ahead. Because in three days, I'm going to rise. And he keeps repeating that. And he repeats it because he wants them to catch it and put it in their head that he's going to live. He may not be right there with them, but he's going to be alive. He's going to be there with them through everything they go through. And sometimes we forget that. I don't care what you're going through in life. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Why? He's right there with me. He's right there with me. Progression. In Matthew 17, 22, he says, When they came together in Galilee. Now, Galilee was a safe place. Galilee is where you have a lot of Gentiles, too. The whole process is that we're not around so much the Pharisees and the, and the priests and the elders and, and the lawyers who are in Jerusalem. We're in like a safe place. But as long as we stay out of that Jerusalem town, we don't, we're not being threatened about being killed or somebody taking my life. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, now he gives them a little bit more. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He didn't say that in the first statement. I'm going to be betrayed. A little bit more growth had taken place from 16 to chapter 17. A little bit more time has been spent. And now he says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed. Into the hands of men. But then he restates what he stated in the first one. They will kill. They will kill me. But on the third day, I'll be raised to life. See that. Focus on that. This is what's going to happen. Don't think just because I go in the grave, I'm no longer with you. Don't think just because I'm going in the grave or because they crucified me or they killed me that I no longer exist. I'm going to live. And on the third day, I'm going to come forth. I want you to focus on that. I want you to see that. I want you to see that I'm alive and I'm living. I want you to see that. Don't worry about the other things you might see. Focus on that on the third day I'm going to come forth from the grave. Focus on that. See that. He goes on in Matthew 20, 17, 19. A little bit more progression. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, where were they? In Galilee. Now we're going where? To Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? That's all the folks that want to kill me. Why not stay in Galilee? Where it's nice and safe. The gospel goes where the danger is. Sometimes we forget that. The gospel goes where sinners are. The gospel goes where the message needs to be shared. It doesn't hide itself in a safe place. It goes where the danger is and the sinner is. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we are going. We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified or killed. Yet on the third day, I'll be raised to life. 
in all three statements, are you seeing what God wants them to see? Yes. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. Life will always try to distract you from what God's word is saying. Life will try to distract you from living out God's word because you think this is more important than God's word. And you want to believe this, what the world is trying to tell you, rather than what the word is trying to tell you. And God wants you to see his word. And he protects you from seeing the others if you will allow him. In Matthew 26, 21, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Oh, now he brings it home. Before he just spoke about, yes, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be betrayed. But now he narrows it down. One of you twelve. Now look where Jesus had taken them from, from Matthew 16, just talking about he was going to die. Then going into 17, talking about he's going to be betrayed. Then telling them, hey, let's go on up to Jerusalem because that's where everything's going to happen. And now saying to them, one of you will betray me. Someone in our midst here will betray the Lord in life. We betray him in our commitment of life. We betray him by not living for him. We betray him because we won't honor his word and live out his word. We betray him because we become a people who are ashamed to speak his name. We betray him because we become a people that out in the world, we don't want to be identified with Jesus Christ. But we come into church, we can, oh, everything, we can shout, wave, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But outside the church, we don't say a word. We betray him. We betray him because we don't really teach our children the things of the word of God. And we don't live it out before them, demonstrating how to trust the Lord. We betray him. And he says, one of you will betray me. But he never tells them who. He never says who will betray him to the group. He never says it. Some of you will quickly run to John 13 and you're going to look in there and the one who dips with me, stay with me because we're going to cover that little section. Because see, he never speaks the name of Judas as the one who would betray him. Now here's a little keepsake I want you to take and put in your pocket. In time, God will always show you what you have need of. In time, God will always show you a little bit more of his plan. Don't rush him. Don't try to make him share with you what you're not ready to hear. Because you may hear it. Oh, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. No, not that, Lord. But when God gets you in the place where you are ready to hear it and see it, he'll reveal it. Just got to wait on him. Because he knows how much we can bear. And he protects us. He protects our hearts. He protects our thinking. He protects our thoughts. And he's doing that with his apostles at this time. Jesus never said who will betray him to the group. 
Yet all the time, he knows. Jesus knows who the betrayer is. But he never speaks his name as the one who will betray him to the group. Go to John 13, 18. John 13, 18. And and look what he says. In verse 18, because see, all of them are a little bit uppity and they're saying, Who? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it me, Lord? But listen to what he says here. He knows. He says, I am not referring to all of you. I imagine that. Some of them said, Because, see, we don't really know our hearts, do we? On the radio or on TV, this uh, the question was asked, what would you have done if you would have been the doctor who was taken off the plane? What might you have done? And this one woman, she said, if I was there, I would like to have offered them my seat, leave him alone, give up my seat. And then the person asked, would you have really done that? She said, I would like to believe I would have done that, but I'm not sure. And most of us are like that. We're not, we can say what we would like to do in a situation, but we don't know what we will do until we're in the situation. Hey. And here are the apostles. They don't know what to think. All they were told, in a sense, one of you are going to betray me. And the heart is deceitfully wicked. And who can know it but who? But God. But God. And he holds back that information. But yet he knows. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have what? I've chosen. Understand something about yourself. God knows you. (laughs) God knows the little secret areas of your heart that you don't even know about. God knows you. He knows you. He knows what you're going to do at times before you ever do it. God knows you. God knows your thoughts. When you think nobody is hearing your thoughts... God is hearing them. And sometimes we have to recognize, God is hearing my thoughts. Mm. He's hearing them. The person you're sitting across to and those thoughts are running and you're just chewing them out, God knows what's going on. And he says, I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scriptures. He shares my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. He's going to sit at the table with me. He's eating my bread that I've provided. He's a friend. And when we get into verse 50, let me just give you a heads up on it. You can be a friend to somebody without that person being a friend back to you. Oftentimes, we just want to be friends to those who are friendly towards us. But you can be a friend when somebody is not friendly towards you. And that's what Jesus is doing. And we're going to see what he calls him, friend. Even when he's not doing a friendly thing, he calls him friend. Now, so the question is, is it I? Just think around that table while they're reclining. And Jesus have said, one of you are going to betray me. And All the talk starts. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? 
And they're hearing each other questioning themselves. Is it I? Go to Matthew twenty six twenty two. Matthew twenty six twenty two. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. They became sad and began to say to him, one at a time, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. There was a confidence, and sometimes we have this confidence, that I won't fail the Lord. It's good to be able to say, in a sense, my intentions is not to fail the Lord. It's my intention not to go out here and just deliberately sin. It's my intention that nothing foul is going to come out of my mouth. It's my intention. But when I'm overconfident in myself that I'm not going to sin or I'm not going to fall or I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that, you better remember one thing. It's only by the grace of God that you're not. Because the flesh will cause you to act up and you will have to question yourself and say, did I say that? Did I do that? Because the confidence you have is saying, I wouldn't do anything like that. I'm not like Joe Blow. I'm not like Sister So-and-So. I'm not like this. And then all of a sudden, it happens. And you're questioning yourself. Did I do that? And the apostles are asking the question, is it I? And you have to explore the reason why would they even ask that question? Why would they even ask of themselves and then even ask the Lord? Well, they knew one thing about the Lord. He knew much more than what they knew. And what is understood here is this. Yes, Lord, I love you, but I don't know my own heart. I really don't know my own heart. How many of you really believe you're loving God with all your might and all your soul and all your... I fall so short. And there's times I have to ask God, God, give me the love to love you with. Give me the love to love you with. Give me the willingness to obey you. Because my heart, Lord, I can say one thing with my mouth, and I know I can say this, but my heart can be where? Far from you, Lord. And they're saying, boy, who can know? Many of you know, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. Let's go to it for a moment. I want to hit that verse 10 more than I do want to hit 9. But Jeremiah 17. And it is so true that, yes, God is the one who really does know our hearts. And he says, the heart is deceitful. That's the first thing. We have to confess that. I don't know everything about my heart. And the heart is what? Deceitful. And he moves a little further and he says, Boy, above all things and beyond cure, I can't heal my own heart. Who has to do it? God does. God does. 
And then he moves and he says, who can understand it? Can you understand your own emotions? Can you even understand sometimes why you're crying? There's that cry for joy. There's that cry for happiness. There's that cry for sadness. There's, there's that cry just because I feel too much is on me. And there's sometimes I'm crying and I can't explain it. And he says, who can understand it? And then when he gets into verse 10, he says, I, the Lord, search what? The heart. Some translation will say the Lord examines the heart. In other words, what God is doing, he's looking at the heart. He's the one looking. And he knows our hearts. And he knows the very intent of our hearts. And he knows the strength of our hearts and the weakness of our hearts. He knows them. And he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine what? The mind, the thoughts that run. Because out of the heart comes the issues of life that flows up to the mind to begin to put them into action. And he says, boy, I examine the mind. Now, now look at what he says to reward a man according to his what? His conduct. To reward how a man would act. If this be true, then what's taking place around that table? God is holding these men from having the wrong thoughts the wrong attitude, the wrong kind of heart. He knows who's going to betray him, but he doesn't mention the name. And in doing so, he's protecting the others from their wrong action or wrong thought. And he says, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserves. God knows our hearts, and he works with us. And he knows those who he have chosen. Now go to John 2 with me. Back to St. John 2. And go to verse 25, 20, 24 and 25. Because God knows us. And oftentimes... We forget that little point. He says in 24, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew who? All men. He knew all men. While I'm on this, let me say it. God does not trust you to glorify him. That's why he glorifies himself through you. Big difference. He glorifies himself through us. Because men will take the platform very quick and say, look at me. And the scripture says, Lord, I will not rob one ounce of your glory. That wouldn't be there if man wouldn't what? Do that. And he says he wants to work through us to glorify himself. All we have to do is be willing to yield to him that he can glorify himself through us. He's not expecting us to glorify him because we can't do it with our sinful selves. We can't do it. But he wants to glorify himself through us if we yield to him and allow him to do it, allow him to do the work. And that's that whole process now of dying to self. And, and we need to understand that. And he said, he wouldn't trust himself in any man's hands. Why? He knows man. He knows man. And then in 25 he says, he did not need man's testimony about man. 
And no, you don't have to go tell Jesus about somebody else. You need to look at who? Yeah. See, I don't need to go tell what somebody else's heart is or what they're doing. Or that. I need to look at me. I need to really just look at me. And that's what the Lord is happening at the Passover supper. He's holding them where they're accountable to themselves. That they're not looking over here at this person or that person per se. But they're looking at what? Themselves. He did not need man to testimony about man. For he knew what was in a man. God knows what's in us. He knows what's in us. Matthew 26 and verse 25. Because he knows. Even we, when we think he doesn't know. He knows. And after going around with this question. Is it I? Is it I? Now look at 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Now that word Rabbi, I think, is important here. One individual brings this out, and I never thought about it. He says, Judas is always calling Jesus Rabbi. Not Lord. The others called him Lord. Jesus referred to him as Rabbi, teacher. But not the elevation of Lord. Big difference. And I never thought about that. He only sees Jesus as a teacher, but not Lord. How you perceive Jesus, how you see Jesus, is how you will serve Jesus. If you don't see him as Lord and master of your life, you won't serve him in that manner. If you just see him as a great philosopher, that's all he's going to be, is a great philosopher. Yes, you'll quote him and so forth, but you really won't live for him. And he says, then Judas, the one who would betray him, says, surely not I, Lord. Now listen, because this is so important. They're there. Jesus answers him and says, yes. (laughs) I imagine that would have shocked Judas right there. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you're the one who's going to betray me. But he said it, now now catch this, he said it and did it in such a way it did not bring excitement or notice even to Judas. Boy, when you get ready to blame somebody, you let the world know, don't you? (laughs) When it's somebody else's fault or they're doing it, you you make sure everybody else knows it's that person. And somehow Jesus says it, but it don't permeate the room or the area. And he says to Judas, yes, it is you. It is you. In other words, letting Judas know, I know your heart. I know your secrets. I know them. Why? Because none of the other apostles had known that Judas had taken off and made a deal with the Pharisees and the priests. But Luke 22 allows us to know that he's out doing this. And remember what scripture says, what's done in the dark will be brought to what? To the light. But Jesus knows and he says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. 
And if you really ask the Lord, where do you betray him at? He'll show you. He'll show you. Does he show it to bring shame to your life? No. He shows it that you might make correction. He shows it because he knows your heart can deceive you. And he wants to correct that. Now, go to Proverbs 2.11 with me. Proverbs 2.11. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. He's guarding their heart. And that word discretion, boy, it's a plan, it's an intent. It's what's in your heart. It's your authority to make a decision or a choice. It's the power to judge. Could you imagine if they were knew it was Judas, how they might have acted? What decisions they may have talked about and then put into action? Judas may not have went out and had to hang himself. They may have what? Could you imagine at that point the division that it would have caused at the Passover? If Jesus would have just pointed out Judas and said, yeah, here's the one that's going to betray me. If you imagine Peter drawing his sword when they came and what he did to the one who came to take his Lord, what might he have done if he would have known Judas was what? The betrayer. And Jesus is protecting them. He's protecting their thoughts. He's protecting them from taking the wrong action. It's not time yet for them to know the truth. But remember I said, in time, the truth will what? Come out. When you have need to know it, it will come forth. When it's really time for you to know it, it will come forth. Go to Proverbs 4.13. As we're right there, there's one page over. 4.13, he simply says, Hold on to instructions. See, Jesus had given them instructions. Jesus had taught them. The gentleman who shot Mr. Goodwin, he was a social worker. He was counseling children. He was giving them ways of how to handle their what? Yeah. Everything he taught went right down what? Right down the drain by his actions. All those kids who he taught maybe said, what was he talking about? He couldn't even do it himself. And here Jesus has spent time now teaching them how to treat each other, how to love each other, how to minister to each other how to do good to each other. And now we're going to let it explode at this moment by me telling you it's Judas. He was protecting them. Protecting them from their own action. Sometimes it's good that God protects you from your own action too quickly. Because it may have been a different type of action before you've had time to sit down and think it through. Something else could have taken place. You hear people sometime after they've done some tragic thing, I didn't mean to do that, that's not what my intention, that, but it happened. Because it happened in the rage of things. And when rage takes place, 
You can't control yourself. And Jesus is protecting his disciples from what he wants them to see and what he has taught them. Not to be destroyed through one act or because of one person. And he simply says, again, that he wants them to see. Hold on to instructions and do not let it go. How quickly do instructions go? How quickly do instructions flee us? How quickly do we forget what we've been asked to do? How quickly do we forget when somebody directs us and we go off and do our own thing? I had a person working for us, putting something down, and I told him, now, I want the green on the edge. And I bought a little, couple extra pieces to put the green on the edge as the border. And the others in me. When I came back, it was just the opposite. <laughs> gave him instructions, and one reason I gave him the instructions to see if he could follow through with the instructions. And sometimes you test people by giving them instructions just to see if they can follow through with instructions. Because some people have it, boy, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm just going to do it this way. What he said don't make sense. It's not the issue if it makes sense. It's the issue that you were instructed to do it that way. My kids used to give whoopings because they didn't follow the way I told them to do it. Not that it wasn't done. But it wasn't done the way I told them to do it. And sometimes I would tell them, you get your own house, you do it your way. But while you're in my house, you do it... And guess what? God basically says the same thing. While you're in my house, you do it my way. And people sometimes can't follow instructions because they will allow themselves to get focused on what they want to do and how they want to do it rather than the way in which you have asked it to be done. When I was working outside in construction, a gentleman did something that almost cost me my life. I was riding the swing seat. The swing seat is something that you ride when you lower you down in between to hook the metal in a shaft together. He's on the winch. Well, he wanted to take a break. So he ties the winch onto the bumper of a car. If that person would have came with that car and and not saw the rope or the cable hooked to his bumper and took off, no telling what would have happened to me. It's important sometimes to follow the instructions because you may have somebody's life in your hands. And then verse 23, out of that heart, come some very important things in 423. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of what? Of life. Of life. Guard your heart. And when the apostles couldn't guard their own heart, Jesus was guarding it for them. And there's times when you can't guard your heart. The Lord is guarding it for you. By not allowing you to know. Have you ever asked the question of of people, why didn't I know? Why didn't I know? Because it had been the wrong reaction. The wrong reaction. And last one, Proverbs 7, 2, he simply says, keep my commandments and you will live. Guard my teaching." as the apple of your eye. He didn't want them to lose what he had taught them for almost three years in a one incident. 
And sometimes you can lose everything that you have stood for, everything that you have shared in one incident. O'Reilly factor, gone. A whole life, gone. Over what? A lot of pastors, life gone over what? The, the issue is, guard your heart. And allow Jesus to guard your heart. Line to keep you. Now, in time, what is needed to be known will come forth. In John thirteen twenty two, he allowed to know. He didn't know who was going to betray, who this betrayer was. So let's go back to John just for a moment. In John 22, John 13 and verse 22. He says, His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple who was sitting close to Jesus, was reclining next to him. Now, Simon's going to get into this in 24. They're at the supper, and Jesus has said, one of you are going to betray me, and, and you could just catch the whole picture. Is it I? Is it I? And then he says, no, it's not intent for all of you. But still yet, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. So they begin to wonder, which one of them? Because he did say one of them was what? Do it. His disciples just stared at one another. One of them, the disciple who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to him, motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him. Ask him which one he means. We know this much. He said it's going to be one of us. Ask him which one. The curiosity was there. Which one of us would betray? And Peter wanted to know. So John leans upon the Lord and whispers in a sense, which one? Which one? Ask him which one he means. In 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Lord, who is it? I don't perceive this to be one of those loud communications or that loud discussion. But leaning upon him saying, Lord, who is it? Don't want to disturb anybody else, per se. But Peter want to know, and, and even I want to know, And, the, and look at this. He says, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. The dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, his hearing, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now stay with me. Because now we think, boy, we know. I would say he was giving bread to others too. So they're still in doubt. 
Why would I say that? Why would I say they're still in doubt? Come on down with me. Stay in the text. What you are about to do, do quickly. Now, Jesus isn't really broadcasting that per se, but others are picking it up. What you're about to do, do quickly now. But they hadn't heard the other part. And he says, Jesus told him, but no one at the mill did what? Understood. So they still didn't know. They didn't know that Jesus knew that he was going to betray him that night. And what you're going to do, go and do what? Do it quickly. Why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. So there's still what? In this darkness. So when will they know? When will they know? He said that somebody's going to betray him. He even brought it closer to home. One of us. But when will we know? Because no name was even given then. Rather than saying, the one who did and I give bread to, he could just easily just said, Judas, the one sitting next to me. One artist shows it. John sitting on this side. Jesus sitting here. Peter sitting across the table and whispering like over to you. Casting. But still, no name is given. Now, as we move just a little bit further, boy, something does take place. And in that, we don't really understand it. What is done in the dark, understand, will always come to the light. In Luke 22, 4 through 6, you have Judas making his deal. None of the others know it. But Jesus knows it. Now go to Matthew, back to 26, and look at 47 through 50. Now is the time. In verse 47, he says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him. Was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the, be- now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, again that word rabbi, greeting rabbi, and kissed him. I never notice again, I repeat to you, doesn't call him Lord, but rabbi. And Jesus replied, look how Jesus replied, friend, friend. Remember what we said? You can be a friend, but people may not be a friend back to you. Jesus is still calling him. Some of us would have been calling him, you enemy, you low down. And yet Jesus calls him friend. Do what you came for. Do what you came for. Go to Psalms 41.9. Psalms 41.9. 
Listen to what he says. Even my close friend. Sometime in life, who are the people who hurt you the worst? A close friend. A close friend. Somebody who you've confided in. Somebody you've shared most of your life, hurts and pains and personal things. And boy, says a close friend. And, and that whole process is that even my close friend, whom I what? Trusted. What did he trust him with? The treasury, the purse, and the doing. He trusted him. He who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Lifting the heel was an insult. Lifting the heel was degrading to the person who you lifted your heel to. But Jesus said, he is my friend. I trusted him. And I shared my bread with him. How many of you would invite an enemy in to eat with you? And yet the scripture says, do good unto my... If you see him hungry, do what? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus had Judas, though he knew him, right there in that circle. And what Jesus wants you to see through all this, if you don't keep your eyes on me, you're going to lose it. You and I are to stay focused on Jesus, not on the Judases of the world, not on the people who do us wrong, but to stay focused on him and his purpose and his goals. Because Satan is going to do all he can do to distract you from living the life that God has planned for you. You and I are to stay focused on what Jesus wants us to do. And Jesus is helping the apostles to stay focused on what? That third day, yes, I'm going to die but I'm going to come forth that third day. You have to have hope in that. You have to believe in that. We have to believe that in one day, Christ is coming back. And we have to have hope in that. And we have to believe that one day, we're going to see him for ourselves. We have to believe that and have hope in that and see that. Don't be distracted by the world and the things of the world and what's going on. Understand this, because in Timothy, verse 24, it explains to us, it's going to get worse. And though it gets worse, don't be distracted. See what the Lord wants you to see. See his hand at work. See him perform. Watch for him. And oftentimes why we don't see him is because we're not looking for him. We're looking at the news and we're looking at this and we're looking at that and we're looking overseas and we're look and I'm not saying don't pay attention to those things, but that's not where my focus is. And he did not want his disciples to lose focus that he was going to die and be resurrected the third day and not lose focus on a Judas and mess up your life as an apostle before you ever got started. Can you see it? Can you see how God kept them? Can you see the importance 
of seeing what the Lord wants you to see and not sometimes what you desire to see and know. Because in its own time, you will see it. They saw Judas coming with the wrong crowd. See, people see you with the wrong crowd at times, don't they? And when they see you with the wrong crowd, they question, whose side you on? And here comes Judas with the wrong crowd. He knew where Jesus would be, and he brings them right to him. And at that moment, they knew who the traitor or the betrayer was. Jesus didn't have to tell him before time. And there are things in your life Jesus won't tell you before time. But when the right time's there, you'll see it. You'll see it for yourself. And nobody has to tell you. But in the meantime, God is guarding your hearts and your thoughts. Allow God to be God and you be the servant. And be focused on the things that he's called you to do. And not all these other things. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord. That you allow us, Lord, to see what you want us to see. And you even point our eyes to those things that you really want us to see and stay focused on. And I pray, Father, that we will focus on what our purpose is and what our calling is and that you would allow us to see how we are to serve you and not get mixed up with the things, oh God, 